Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, if you could find your place today in Matthew chapter 6, we'll actually be completing chapter 6 today from verse 19 down to the end of verse 34. So as you find that, I want to I want to just uh, couch this message in a in an odd, a little bit of an odd way. Every time I do a wedding, I draw on a lot of information when I do counseling prior to a wedding, and uh, try to I try to uh, give as much information as possible to people so that they'll have the the best biblical chance for success when it comes to marriage. That's my goal. I want to try to... I always tell people, you know, it's, it's really good to learn from your mistakes, but it's so much better to learn from other people's mistakes. Then you don't have to make them yourself, right? And, and I, there's several books I've read in the past that I've used, and one of those that's super helpful, probably one of my top two or three uh, books about marriage... Is this book by Dave Harvey. It's called When Sinners Say I Do. And it's a real helpful reminder that, you know, it's hard enough to live life as a sinner, you know. And even put two sinners together, it multiplies it, you know, the, the difficulty, the potential difficulty. And here's one, there's one sentence here at the very beginning of the book. Um, I want to say it's, yeah, it's in the, it's in the um, second chapter. But um, listen to this statement. And we'll, we'll try to make a spiritual comparison. If I love my wife, why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? I, I brought this book up here with me just to read that one line. But I want you to think about that. If I love my wife, why do I find it so easy to treat her like I don't? Now, that's a whole different conversation. Okay? But let's, let's make the comparison to our Christian life. I would suspect, I'm not going to take a poll, and I hate to make assumptions, but my suspicion is every person in this room, every person watching on live stream, perhaps every person that I would speak to who calls themselves a Christian would answer yes to this question. Do you love Jesus? Right? Kind of a basic thing, right? So I suspect everybody would say yes. Now, you see where I'm going? If I love Jesus, why do I find it so easy to treat Him like I don't? And here's what I mean by that. We're talking today specifically about a question that's asked in this text, in a sermon, preached by Jesus, where is your treasure? What do you value supremely? What is the most important thing to you in your life? And I would suspect that when given the opportunity to answer that question, especially sitting in a church building, do you love Jesus? Is Jesus the most important thing to you? Well, yes, of course. Right? It's easy to say. That's the right answer. But now let's apply that to life. 
Why do I find it so easy to live in a way that would contradict that statement? Is Jesus the most important thing to me in my life? I mean, I'm supposed to say yes, because that's the right answer. But does that verbal answer translate into actions in my life? That's the question we have to answer. Leon Morris wrote this statement, Real treasure is in heaven. It does not consist in material things of any sort. So that presents us with a few questions. What is important to me? What occupies my attention? Where do I spend my money? What do I supremely treasure? Now, before anybody starts to think or, or maybe hear something that I'm not saying, let me just put this qualifier on that. And, and hopefully you'll see that as we move through this Scripture. There is nothing in the Bible anywhere that says it's wrong to have stuff. <laughs> That's not what this is about, alright? So don't misunderstand. The important principle here is this, and I hope you'll see this in the text. It's crucial that your stuff doesn't have you. God blesses you with resources, with things to, you know, to enjoy. That's part of His blessings on His children. So this is not about, well, I've got to go sell everything. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. What do we supremely treasure? above everything and do our lives reflect that truth here's the text it'll be on the screen uh, I'll read it and then there's four different principles that we'll look at as we move through the text beginning in verse 19 Matthew chapter 6 here's what Jesus said do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness... How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying... What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, please speak clearly to us. Please help us understand. May Your will be done in our lives for Your glory and our good. For Christ's sake. Amen. There are sets of two throughout this text today four different sets of of two different things and we're going to try to take each one of them one at a time and and hopefully we'll gather some clarity here this is one of the harder texts in this sermon on the mount simply because it it puts before us this almost uh, well it's really inconvenient and it's uncomfortable this question that revolves around verse 21 and then verse 33. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then verse 33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. But here's an underlying truth that I hope will, will become clear as we move through this text. There is a cure for anxiety. There's a cure for worry. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you tend to worry. So let's look at the first section here. First of all, we have two treasures. Verse 19 through 21, two treasures. James Boyce wrote these words, Today, when a man surrenders to God and allows Him to redirect his life, A process begins in which money and things are removed from the center and God once again is reinstated on the throne. And don't forget that these things are written to Christians. They are therefore meant to make you ask whether the Lord God Almighty occupies the central place in your life or whether other things obscure Him. The text is so clear in verses 19 and 20. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Why not? Well, you got moths and rust, two uh, items that would, I guess, uh, cause the value to decrease. They destroy. An interesting point here, that Greek word is the same one he used in verse 16 about how people do their faces when they're fasting. Isn't that interesting? They destroy their face. So rust and moth destroy your possessions 
They render them invisible. That's what it really means. Thieves break in and steal. So don't lay up treasures on earth. On the other hand, lay up treasures in heaven. So you have two commands, one negative, one positive. Lay up treasures in heaven because moth and rust can't do anything to those treasures. Thieves can't get to those treasures. And why is this so important? Where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. You know, back in uh, 2020, three years ago, we began the year with a six-week study on Sunday morning about stewardship. And if you remember, we, we didn't, it was week three or four before we ever even talked about money. We were talking about stewardship of the gospel, stewardship of the grace of God given to us, stewardship of our lives, how we honor Christ. And then that includes our resources as well. So it was week three or four before we got to that. Do you know why I don't feel personally compelled to preach all these sermons about, well, you need to be given to the church. You know, you, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't feel the need to do that. You know why? If Jesus has your heart, I don't have to tell you to do that. It's none of my business. That's between you and God. So if your heart belongs to Jesus, that covers everything. Sometimes I guess people, maybe some preachers feel compelled to do that. Maybe they, they want to try to put some more emphasis on it. I, I just don't see the need. I'd rather you know Jesus and love Him. And then He'll take care of that. Right? Isn't that, isn't, doesn't that sound reasonable? Where's our treasure? Our heart follows our treasures. You know, I, I say this all the time, that uh, we make time to do the things we really want to do. So when presented with an option, well, are you going to do this or this? These two things happen on the same day at the same time, and they conflict. So which one are you going to do? Well, you're either going to make a way, or you're going to make an excuse. So that's why I, I try not to harp on those things. Do I want every single person who calls this church their church? Do I want them all to be here every Sunday? Well, yeah. Of course. Because that's a good thing. Now, things happen. Sometimes you have to work. Sometimes you have family. You're visiting out of town. Sometimes you're on vacation. I get that. No problem. Because I'm not legalistic about it. But I also know this. Every Sunday you're gone is one Sunday that it's easier to miss the next one. And when you're gone twice, it's even harder. And when you're gone three or four times, then it's natural not to be here. And I, and, and I, don't, think, I don't say that to be legalistic. I say that because I know the benefit and the health you're missing. And that's, that's all I have to say about that. That's one example of where's your treasure, where's your heart. Jesus points out the place we choose for our treasures tells something about ourselves. The place where we choose to store up what we value most shows what our values really are deep down. And, and by the way, just as a simple reminder, when I die, I'm going to take out of this world exactly what I brought in. Nothing. So if, if thieves break in and steal my stuff, if rust you know, makes my stuff go to pot during my life, you know, so what? Because if I've stored up treasures which have time-limited value, what have I really done? 
What have I really done? Two treasures. Number two, two conditions. Verse 22. Jesus says the eyes and the lamp of the body. So the eyes, what we take in, uh, where light comes from, where our, our uh, benefits come, eyes, the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, if it's clean, if it's not uh, obscured at all, then your body's going to be full of light. If it's covered, if it's uh, got dirt, or you know, if it's bad, your body will be full of darkness. So what he's saying is, this is good. Anybody ever go window shopping? Not planning on buying anything. You just want to go look. Right? Maybe it's, I'm going to go look for some clothes. I'm going to go look. Maybe, uh, like, um, people planning on getting married, going to look at wedding dresses. Or going, you know, planning on going to the prom and looking at, you know, whatever. Or, for like me, I'm just like hanging out at Palmetto State Armory once a week, just kind of, hmm. Yeah, that's right. Just look at all that. Look at all these beautiful things here. I, I don't, I don't need another. Well, yeah, I do. I need several more. You know, whatever. But you just window shopping. But well, how do you, how do you um, regulate that stuff? Where does it come in? What's the sensory input? Hmm. Oh, that looks good. I want that. Right. About. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher, perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. When I look at Jesus... Does it excite me as much as when I'm looking through the glass at a store that sells something I like? What's my heart doing at that moment? Is it just as excited? Do I have the same desire when I look at Jesus? F.E. Filson said, if man divides his interest and tries to focus on both God and possessions, he has no clear vision and will live without clear orientation or direction. Life, not focused on God's claim and command, is lost in spiritual darkness. D.A. Carson adds to that and says, The good eye is the one fixed on God unwavering in its gaze, constant in its fixation. The alternative is to be full of darkness, devoid of revelation and purity. And that darkness is especially appalling if the person deceives himself. Here's what I mean. If he thinks his eye is good when it's bad, then he talks himself into believing that his nominal, marginal loyalty to God's kingdom is actually deep and genuine, when in fact it's shallow and contrived. The person's darkness is greatest who thinks his darkness is light. That's what Jesus is getting at. If the light in you is actually darkness, then how much greater is the darkness? You know, some people, let me just uh, apply that practically, some people have trusted in something other than Jesus to call themselves a Christian. 
Maybe they've trusted in church attendance. Or maybe they've trusted in church membership. Or maybe they've trusted in uh, what they're not doing. Well, I don't lie, cheat, or steal, or whatever. You know, I, I do good things. So I must be a Christian. You know, folks that are in that category are the hardest ones to uh, evangelize, hardest ones to tell the gospel story to, because they think they're a Christian. It's almost like you've got you to gotta get them lost before you can get them saved. Because they're trusting in something other than Jesus, which is not salvation. You can sit in a church for a hundred years. If you haven't trusted Christ, you're going to hell. I mean, it's just the, the truth. And so, if you think your darkness is actually light, it's far darker. Two conditions. Next, number three, two masters. Verse 24. Jesus simply says, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love one, or to be devoted to one and despise the other one. And what's the point of that? You can't serve God and money. The old, old word several hundred years ago was mammon. You know what that signifies? It's the thing that you can't do without. The thing that affects your judgment. The thing you want above everything else. The, the thing that has you. You can't serve God if something else in the world occupies God's seat on the throne of your life. You can't do both. Just like you can't have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. It doesn't work that way. In fact, even this morning I was praying for my pastor buddies and I try to do this every Sunday morning early. I put a little post out on social media on a couple different places where I'm praying for guys. And this morning I found the most appropriate picture to post. You probably can't see it from back there, but if you see on my, on my social media, that's what it looks like. And it says, The weakness of so many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. Is Christ our treasure? Or is something else sitting in that seat? Who owns my possessions? Really? Who owns my possessions? The Lord Jesus Christ tells me that either God owns them and I serve Him, or my possessions own me and I serve them. We don't ever really own anything, even though we think we do. And this verse here, Matthew six twenty four, it warns us that when things get stressful, if there's a crisis or something like that, whatever allegiances we have, they're going to get sorted out. Right? Just like when, when stress happens... Whatever your character looks like, it's coming to the top. It's going to be seen. Right? And only one can come out on top. You can only have one master. And, and we want that master to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what God wants. So that's what we should want. Two treasures. Two conditions. Two masters. The last one is... A little bit more interesting because it's a longer section of this chapter. Two preoccupations. That's a, that's a big, crazy word, but you know what it means? You ever been preoccupied with something? 
Let me give you an example. This will make it real clear. In the fall, on Saturdays, from anywhere from 11 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, it's not easy to talk to me because I'm preoccupied with something. It's 22 people on a field throwing a little piece of leather around. Okay? I'm preoccupied. So I'm, I'm focused. If somebody comes in the room tries to talk to me, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. There's 30 seconds left. All right? You know, I'm, I'm preoccupied. So I'm not focused on anything else. I'm focused on one thing. That's what it means to be preoccupied with something. It's occupying my thoughts. It's preloaded. And here's what's interesting. We're talking about anxiety. Perhaps the, the vagueness or the difficulty in defining anxiety is maybe the worst thing about it. But it's very real. One person has called anxiety fear in search of a cause. In the Greek and in the English that was back in the time of King James, the meaning was just stop worrying. So when you look at this, at this um, phrase here, verse 25, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about these things. That's what it meant in, in the Greek and in the, the English of the 1600s. Stop worrying. Now that's easy to say, right? Just don't do it. Well, okay. It's not that easy. So according to Jesus, Christians shouldn't be anxious or worried about anything. Because worry is going to stifle our Christian lives and ruin our witness. Because it's nearly impossible to be serving God by glorifying Him if we're constantly filled with doubt about His ability to take care of us. You ever thought about worry or anxiety in that, in that way? Can God really come through for me? Or is He going to let me down? We've all been there. We've all worried about something. Some more than others. Some chronically worrying, but some just from time to time. But we've all done it. And this is what, what it's really saying. God, I'm not sure you can handle this. I don't know if you're big enough for this one. This is a, this is a big deal in my life, and I'm not sure you're up to it. Now, when we say it now, it sounds just silly, doesn't it? Because intellectually, we'd have to say, okay, that's just not true. God can handle anything. There's no, you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing in your life that God can't handle. Nothing. How do we forget that so quickly, so often? Jesus says, for this reason. So you understand what that means? It's almost like a therefore, for this reason. Look, look what we just read. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can't serve God in possessions. 
And before that, the three different sections we, we looked at about don't worry about practicing righteousness before people because God sees you and He will reward you. He knows everything. And so then you get to verse 25. For this reason, Jesus says, don't be worried. Stop worrying about your life. And so when we say, well, Christians really shouldn't be anxious or worried, well, yeah, that's easy to say, but there's truth there. God can literally handle everything in your life. And and He goes through, don't be worried about your life, about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. And His example about the birds, well, they don't do anything. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. And your Father feeds them. Your Father provides food for them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Do you understand the, the order of creation? Have you thought about it lately? Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. Go back and read what God did when He spoke everything into existence. What did He say for last? The very best of His creation. You know who that is? You. You. You are the crowning achievement of the creation of Almighty God. You don't think you're valuable enough to Him for Him to handle everything going on in your life? How do we appropriate that? How do we make that our own? You've got to get closer and closer to Jesus. Why do you think the, the question before us today is, where is our treasure? What do we value supremely? Worrying will not add a single hour to your life or an inch to your height or a geography to your path. Worrying will do nothing for you except hurt you. It will take you farther away from Jesus. That's why it's one of the the most often used tools by the enemy. Oh, well, I I can't unsave those Christians, so I'll just fill them with anxiety and fear and worry. I'll make them useless. I'll distract them. That's what I'll do. You don't think He has a plan for us? Need we be reminded? Greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. Our enemy has nothing for you. Nothing. Don't worry. Consider the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. You know who's more beautiful than that? You are. You ever drive through the mountains? Drive down the Blue Ridge Parkway? Go cross country. Look at the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and the Rocky Mountains. You ever see some of that stuff? We just see those things. The Grand Canyon. We look at those things and we're just like, oh, wow, that is so beautiful. You ever taken a picture of a really awesome sunset? And just like, oh, it's so beautiful. Let me clue you into a truth that you may not have realized. We say that about God's creation. God says that about you. Nothing that God has created on this planet is as beautiful to Him as you are. Has that not crossed your mind? 
human beings are the most beautiful part of creation to God, to the One who created you. You are the only part of creation that has the capacity to relate to Him on a personal, spiritual level. Stop worrying. If God clothes the grass of the field, will He not much more clothe you? If He feeds the birds of the air, aren't you worth more than they are? Don't worry about your food or drink or clothes because people who don't have God seek after all these things, but your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Don't you see that in the text? Verse 32. He says it over and over and over. Don't worry. Stop worrying. I've got you. He can't be any more clear. Don't worry about all these other things. He knows your needs. One Greek scholar that I read this week said, Stop perpetually worrying. This recognizes this habitual attitude of the unsaved human heart toward the problems and difficulties of life. And God commands us to stop perpetually worrying about even one thing. We commit sin when we worry. We don't trust God when we worry. We don't receive answers to our prayers when we worry because we're not trusting God. He is able. Read Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every single one. So what are we supposed to do about that? Verse 33. But, contrast, the Gentiles seek after all these other things. But you, Christian, here's what you do. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And your heavenly Father will meet your needs. These things, He says, these things will be added to you. These, need, these, these basic needs. Does that mean God's going to you know, drop a million dollars in your lap and give you everything you ever thought you wanted? No. Those aren't needs. But God will meet all your needs. He'll give you what you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. Did you know tomorrow doesn't exist? You ever thought about that? There's no such thing as tomorrow because by the time it gets here, it's today. Think about it. Tomorrow hasn't come into existence yet. And by the time we're there, if we get there, it'll, we'll call it today. And then there'll be a new tomorrow that hasn't got here yet. There's no such thing as tomorrow. So why are we worried about it? Hey, that's a solid question. We're supposed to seek as our first priority not the things we'd like to have or even things we think we need, but God's kingdom and righteousness. Jesus is clearly saying to us our first and best effort should be directed toward God's kingdom. 
first and best effort. These other things, they'll happen. You think God's blind? Just quick show of hands. How many of you in here could truthfully say that sometime in your life God did something that there's no other explanation for God did it? Raise your hand. And you think God doesn't know what you need? He knows He knows what we need more than we know what we need. He knows everything. And He is so faithful. Let me close. I heard a preacher preach this sermon about this text. and It made an impact on me. So let me read you some of what he said. Only the end of this is going to be on the screen. I'm going to read more than that, but then... Um, you can pick up on the screen at the very end. He said, How do you make Christ look great in your life? And so, don't waste your life. Money is given to us so we might use money in a way that shows money's not our treasure. Christ is. Food is given to us so we might eat it in such a way that it will be plain to everyone that food is not our treasure. Christ is. Friends, family are given to us so we might live with them in such a way that it will be plain to the world that they are not our treasure. Christ is. Computers, toys, houses, land, cars are given to us that we might use them in such a way that it will be plain to the world that these things are not our treasure. Christ is. You talk about lifestyle implications. And here's what he concludes with. The way we display the supreme worth of Jesus is by treasuring Him above all things and then making choices which make the joy we have in His supreme worth manifest. You get it? And if He is not that for you today, if He's not that treasure for you, then pray all night if you have to that your heart would be so changed that you would now treasure Jesus above everything in your life. It's so easy to just say, I love Jesus. That's a Sunday school, Bible school answer. Everybody's going to give that. But do we really? Do we really love Jesus? Can you look at my life and tell I love Jesus? Can you look at my bank account and tell me I love Jesus? Can you look at my treatment of other people and, and see I love Jesus? How am I living out that profession? I love Jesus, but, but do I? Is He my treasure? Is He your treasure? That's the focus of today's text. That's the principle that Jesus is trying to get us to see. You want to know the cure for anxiety? 
Treasure Jesus Christ above everything. You want to know the cure for materialism? Treasure Jesus Christ above everything. You want to know the cure for chronic worrying about everything? Treasure Jesus Christ above everything. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.